Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for people who want all things real, raw and reputable where we smash taboos and break down stigmas. I'm your host Isabella Gosling and welcome to today's episode. Before we jump in, I would just like to say a massive thank you to everybody online last night for all the love and support around me announcing the very first Let's Talk Period live show. If you missed it, I will be hosting a special live podcast event on Friday, 5 November at Loyal Hope in Brisbane. Sorry to all the LTP fam, not in Brisbane. I really hope to be able to do some more live events across Australia in 2022. Let's hope COVID stays away and I can make that happen because I would love to be able to meet all of you in person. I will be joined by special guests on the night to chat about all things chronic illness and sexual wellness. Plus, I get to meet all of the beautiful LTP fam. You can all meet each other and we can all mingle and have an absolutely amazing fun night together. There's a drink on arrival and a grazing boat from Say Cheese. So yummy cheeses. They do gluten-free and vegetarian options as well. And a goodie bag for you too, full with product discounts and offers from LTP partners. Plus some other little sneaky things to be revealed on the night too. Tickets are $65, but the LTP fam can get $5 off their tickets. So you can get $5 off your ticket with the code LTPFAM at checkout. I wanted to give $5 off to the beautiful people who have supported me since the very beginning. So thank you so much for listening and I hope the $5 off your ticket can help. I have tried to make tickets as reasonable as possible because I know how expensive life is when you're chronically ill already and I didn't want to make cost a barrier to the people who wanted to come from coming. So I really, really hope to see you there. It is going to be an amazing night. Uh, All the details for the live show are in the show notes uh, as well as the link to get your ticket and come and join me for what is going to be an incredible night. Now let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is with the incredibly strong Tamika Naxon, or you may know her as performing artist Zira. Tamika is an EDM and pop singer and songwriter with over 20 million streams worldwide. Under the artist's name Zira, Tamika has featured on songs with American DJ Justin Blau or 3LAU and EDM heavyweight Nicky Romero and also has a new one out in October with Audion. Tamika suffers from endometriosis and after an emergency laparoscopy for an ovarian torsion in 2017 where PID was found, Tamika turned her focus away from performing live and more towards songwriting and recording, both things she can do in her own time and in the comfort of her home with trackies a heat pack, and all of the things she needs close by at all times. Chronic illness forced her to reassess and change paths. Now she looks at working with her chronic illness and not against it, but this has worked out even better than she ever imagined. In this ep, we chat on Tamika's journey to diagnosis for endo back in 2010, what it was like to need an emergency surgery for an ovarian torsion, the decision to pivot away from live performance and the feelings associated with this, 
how to Mika uses her chronic illness in her art as a songwriter, the relief Tamika has found with being able to access a disability parking permit, how Tamika deals with people who think she doesn't look sick, plus so much more. Now, just a little trigger warning for this episode, Tamika does share her experience with pregnancy loss and ectopic pregnancy, and this might be triggering or upsetting for some listeners. Here's Tamika. Tamika, welcome to Let's Talk Period. I am just so excited to be chatting with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be excited to hear from you as well. Now, I'm not sure if you know, but the way I always love to start the podcast is talking about nourishing our body. So I would love to know what you've done to nourish your body today. Yeah, um, I actually have been, we're in Sydney lockdown at the moment. So um, I've been just going for my daily walk every morning and making sure that I sort of get up and about and um, we kind of go my husband and I go to the park nearby and play a game of chess so um, that's kind of been my little moment to um, it's sort of like an active meditation I guess Um, and that's I've found that's the best way to keep myself calm and it's sort of you've got you walk to the park and then you're like working your mind as well at the same time (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, just trying to trying to keep busy. So yeah. That's it. Uh, and that's what you've got to do when you're in lockdown, unfortunately, because otherwise yeah. it can get that little bit overwhelming. Yes, definitely. The next thing I always love to chat about as well is all to do with our toolkit. And when we have a chronic health condition or not, there's people, items, therapies, strategies uh, that help us to manage our health. And I'd love to know if there's something in particular that you'd recommend to the listeners um, for them to manage their health. Um, So I think that the most important thing with having a chronic illness is um, having a team around you that you really in your gut trust and um, that feels good and they, they listen to you and they um they really work with you on your different um illnesses and and your life as a whole um I have a psychologist I have a psychiatrist I have an endometriosis specialist a GP an osteo like it's kind of like this massive team that um that really work together um and um and really kind of make me feel like I am supported um and having a a a GP um practitioner plan um so you can get the mental health care plan but you can also get a GP plan which um kind of brings all of your different specialists together and brings the team together and um every time you have a different an appointment or or um, new tests or anything like that um, everyone gets um, notified of that so um, I think that was a really important tool for me to um, to have just to feel like everyone was across everything. It just makes it so much easier when you don't have to go to each person and sort of give them the latest update they're already exactly. across it. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, it makes it feel like you're heading in one direction rather than um, sometimes, you know, one doctor's pulling you one way and the other doctor's pulling you the other way and that's contradictory advice. Um, so yeah, it's really cool to have like a, a centre point to that. Mm. I'd love to know, how do you go about finding those people in your team? Like, do you have like, is it just a gut feeling that you know that they're the person for you or what is it that, you know, that decides for you that you're like, yes, I want them to be in my team? Um, it's It's been a long process of trial and error. Um, <laughs> there's been, I, I was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2010 um so almost 12 years ago now and at the time there were not many um doctors that really like specialized in the area um definitely GPs were hard to find that really sort of believed in um endometriosis and the and the chronic pain that came with it um and so it really I I was quite lucky to find a GP um early on that um, I felt really safe with and um, and basically that listened to me and was really willing to go go to all of the lengths um, to find a diagnosis. But um, I think that anytime someone um, and it's it's gotten easier to see the red flags over time, but anytime those red flags start creeping up with um, one of your specialists or anything like that, I think it's time to move on. Um, and I actually found a new specialist. Um, I had been with the same endometriosis specialist for almost nine years, I think. Um, and about two years ago, I decided, okay, this, this isn't for me anymore. Um, I don't think we're on the same page and it was time to move on. And, um, I'm really glad I did that because, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so important to trust your gut with with those people and um they don't really mind if you move on so you know you have to really feel supported yeah and there's nothing wrong with going and seeing someone else or getting that second opinion because it does just put your mind at ease and exactly if they are the right fit for you and you found someone else who is like more on your page of what you need at that time then amazing and if you don't and you realise that the person you were seeing was, you know, actually the person that you needed and that just, like, reinforces that you're happy with them. So yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, you feel more comfortable knowing that you've you've uh, sought something else and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, so in 2010 you were diagnosed with endo. What was that process like? Has, Has... this has been something you've been struggling with since the onset of your period when you were a teenager. How was your experience with periods when you were growing up? Um, I was a national swimmer when I was younger. So I had my, um, I had my, my period came quite late. Um, I was 16, 15 or 16 when it um, arrived. And um, I I mean, I kind of just thought that it was, uh, I always had very painful periods, but again, like so many other people, I I thought that that was normal. And I remember going to the school office and um, 
the woman just saying like, oh, you'll get used to it. You know, your pain tolerance will get higher as you get older and you've had a few more periods. And, um, and yeah, obviously that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I sort of had every three months or so, it was a really, really bad period. Um, and, but it wasn't until 2010. Um, I had just moved to Sydney from Adelaide um, and I was, it was my first year of uni and all of these new, new things going on. Um, and that was when it really became really, really um, unbearable. Um, and I had, um, I had vaginismus as well as um, endometriosis. So I all, all of a sudden couldn't use a tampon um, I, I just had so much pain. There was pain with sex and, um, all sorts of different things going on, um, that, yeah, didn't seem normal. And so, um, I went to the doctor. Um, I, I did get really, really lucky, as I said, with my first GP in Sydney. Um, and she was really, um, helpful. And I ended up getting a laparoscopy done that year um but uh unfortunately it was ablation um which is not necessarily the gold standard um these days and so um it sort of caused a lot of um other pain and and there was a lot of other things going on um i the next year found a different specialist and um and ended up going to see him to get Botox into my pelvic floor for the um, vaginismus. And um, I ended up getting a Marina IUD inserted as well. Um, and for me, like the the first Marina um, was incredible. I didn't have periods anymore. Um, and I, I would say there was about four years where if you asked me if I had endometriosis, I would have said no. Like I just, I thought I'm cured. Like it's all good. I'm, I, I've been through that, done that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, um, in about 2016, my pain started coming back. Um, and that, at that point, I had the marina changed again, um, and. That second marina, unfortunately, got infected um, and caused um, it caused a huge cyst um, on one of my ovaries, which caused an ovarian torsion, um, but also caused pelvic inflammatory disease, they think. Um, so I had to have that one taken out. Um, so, yeah, there's been lots of ups and downs and that sort of thing um, with, um, with my journey. Um, with endo but I would say uh, I mean I had the four years of of nothing but since 2017 it's been pretty tumultuous <laughs> so yeah and I can completely resonate with that period of time where everything's going amazing and you think I don't even have endo anymore it feels like like this is the best and then it yeah. all sort of like comes back and hits you <laughs> like a yeah, ton of bricks <laughs> exactly yeah um, and and you just think, oh God, how how stupid was I for thinking that this was all gone? Um, but yeah, uh, and you try and 
keep that thought in your head like oh you know I'm maybe I'm not even sick anymore and maybe I am fixed and I'm cured and how amazing yeah. is this yeah yeah it can come back at any time and it really does not matter what you're doing in terms of health and diet and exercise and all of those things you can do as much as you want to help your body but um it'll it'll surface unfortunately (laughs) exactly it's such a good reminder because it's so true people think you can do all the things and like you can do all of the things to try and give yourself as much quality of life as you can but at the end of the day you do have that chronic illness and it's just something to keep in mind but yeah yeah and I even saw a post the other day about how you don't need surgery for endo and people are just wasting their money and it's very relevant with the ovarian torsion you experience because if you don't have surgery for things like that you can actually lose organs and we know that people with endo can lose organs like kidneys and ovaries due to the condition so for sure yeah. yeah I think it's better to know where you stand um I've heard there have been quite a few of my friends that have been coming to me saying like I my gynecologist thinks I have endo like they want to treat me with um just the medication they don't think that I should have the surgery like what do you think I should do and I yeah my personal opinion is Mm. that you should know where you stand and um and as we know the only way to get a diagnosis is to um, get the the laparoscopy done by a specialist um, and yeah just to sort of um, I think it's important to even if you don't have symptoms the endometriosis can be wreaking havoc so yeah it's just it's a little scary but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly but exactly until we have that more or less invasive testing then the gold standard is that laparoscopy through excision surgery if there is endo found. And I agree. I have come from the same place of like I'd rather be informed and know what's going on internally than just conservatively yeah. treating without <laughs> actually having any definitive answers. But I'm a, yeah. I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> yeah, same, same, same. <laughs> uh, and I know something that would have been this would have been quite a scary experience for you like can you talk us through that time when you had that ovarian torsion occurring and how did you know something was wrong and what was that like for you yeah so I had um I it it was a really weird time I I was kind of um having lots of really bad dizzy spells I was having um I was really fatigued to the point where I would like lay down on the kitchen tiles and fall asleep. Like I was, I was so tired. Um, I could fall asleep anywhere. And, um, and it was just, I knew in my gut that something was wrong. Um, I had, I was, yeah, like nauseous and headachy and all of these other things going on. Um, and then, I, in the middle of the night, um, woke up and my stomach was like huge, super bloated. And, um, and I was in so much agony. Um, and I went to the hospital, um, and they, you know, gave me, they did all the tests 
and everything um and did um the uh internal ultrasound um and nothing like they they were just like yeah you've got some free fluid like you've got you've got a cyst but like it's you know there's nothing else really going on it's probably just endo pain um and I you know took the painkillers and then went home and um and I was just like it it nothing it's not right something's not right so I went back to my specialist um and I basically just rocked up at my specialist's rooms like I didn't book an appointment I just rocked up I was like I need to be seen now this is um like I'm in so much pain um and he whisked me off into his ultrasound um area and um basically just said like we're booking you for a laparoscopy this afternoon um I think you've got and there's an ovarian torsion in there um and you've um got some other things going on for sure um and so I yeah basically headed straight from there to the hospital um and um had this emergency laparoscopy um and they when I came out they said that like my entire um like abdomen I don't know it's hard to remember all the medical terms but (laughs) um like my my entire pelvic cavity and abdomen was all like super inflamed and red um and and infected and so um there was just all sorts going on with um with my body but um yeah so I had the um the ovarian cyst removed um I had the uh the left ovary was like sort of sutured down into place so that um it couldn't twist anymore I think um and then they took the marina out the second marina out um to um, because they can't leave a foreign object in if it's infected. Um, and so, and then I had, I think about eight different types of antibiotics, um, all at once. So I was, I was on IV antibiotics. I was on, um, oral antibiotics. It was just like this insane time. Um, and yeah, looking back at it, it really just changed my entire life. Um, from from that point on, that was sort of followed by eight months of um, of opiates and lots of like pain relief that went with um, the chronic pain of that, and um, and then lots of other issues that have come with that. I guess. Mm-hmm. How did you manage through that? Like, I know you spoke briefly about your team and who that includes, but yeah. what did you do to try and get through that intense? period of time um I I think it was sort of like there was a lot of sleeping (laughs) I was in bed for like eight months but um I was really really lucky to have um incredible support around me and I just sort of lent on them a lot um and slowly but surely I sort of came back to my um my songwriting and my um my singing and stuff like that I was um originally I was doing all of the you know um perform like live performances and all of that sort of thing but um from there I just kind of pivoted and moved towards the um the songwriting sort of aspect because I could do it in my in my bed 
in my trackies, like wherever I wanted to um, to be. And um, and yeah, I kind of just did what I could to um, to get back to normal life. I know you just mentioned about having to pivot away from live performance and I'd just love to know, like, was that, I'm sure it would have been, but was that a really difficult decision to have to make? Because obviously when you go into a career such as music, you don't necessarily think that something will change within you and make you not be able to do what you wanted to do in that way anymore. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you kind of have to grieve that as a loss kind of thing. Like you're, you had these plans for what you were going to do with your life and, um, and what your career was going to look like. And then you kind of, um, you switch your focus. But I think as is the, the case for most people with chronic illness, um, it, you know, we, we finally figure out that it's just better to go with it than to kind of go against it because that never really works um and so yeah I just kind of um I found that moving moving away from the um the live performance took the anxiety away a little bit um because I felt like with um being you know having to be on stage and having to be up and having to have done my makeup and be dressed up and all of those types of things um it was so much more effort and it was it was energy that I didn't have that I couldn't <laughs> like I couldn't use um and so it it was an easy like I mean it was a hard decision at first to sort of switch and and to feel like I was losing all of those things that I wanted to do but um honestly looking back now it's it it's actually really brought me into an easier life that um that is sort of working with the illness and um and yeah it it's it hasn't been half bad I really enjoy the like the songwriting and the recording and that sort of aspect of it so yeah well that's wonderful to hear I would love to know have you been able to use your chronic illness or has your chronic illnesses been have they been an influence for your music or songwriting in any way definitely um I have two projects so I have um the Zira project and then I have um a different project called Meeks um and I kind of tend to write the like the sadder more intimate stuff on the Meeks side um <laughs> side of things um but yeah I mean it art comes from from you know feeling and so it it kind of has been um incredible to see how like you like utilizing those those hard times has kind of grown um my music career and that sort of thing um I unfortunately had an ectopic pregnancy in December and um it was a horrible experience but I think that I have written some of my favorite songs about that time and um and some of the other things have um have been like song titles and stuff like that that have come from um those experiences and the songs don't necessarily end up being a direct relation to it but it 
definitely inspires lots of lots of the art yeah just like that creative outlet and a way to express yourself and release those emotions whether they're positive ones or you know more difficult or harder to process ones yeah for sure I mean writing songwriting is is like a therapy session you go into the studio and like it's like an all-day therapy session you really are forced to go into what you're really thinking and um and feeling and um kind of let it all come out so um it's really cathartic to um write about those experiences and I mean even if you're not a songwriter like writing journaling or writing poems or whatever it is like I I find that it's just so good to get it outside of your body and so so calming and um yeah so helpful yeah I was gonna say it's almost like that next step from journaling like you're just taking it one step further like letting it all out and then creating it into something beautiful yeah and then also like letting other people have it um you know at at that point um sharing it with other people it's no longer like just my thing to carry anymore it's like here you go <laughs> you guys yeah. can have it now <laughs> yeah that's nice it's a way to sort of lessen the burden I guess of the experiences yeah, yeah exactly yeah. something a lot of people with endo or other chronic illnesses face is the term whether they identify as disabled and I know a lot of people often do identify as having a disability if they're chronically ill and I know a lot of people who don't identify as disabled so it's it makes sense that it is because it can be so disabling even though you know the classic saying of like you don't look sick and you look fine um which is incredibly infuriating and frustrating within itself. <laughs> That's one way to put it, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'll do the polite version, very yeah. frustrating. <laughs> um, but one part of that is having access to services and things like that. And I know when you're flaring and you've got a park, just for example, and I know you've got access to a disability parking permit, which is just the best thing because when you're trying to find a park and you're at the shopping centre, just for example, like, oh, my gosh, it's, a struggle and you've got to park so far away and if you're flaring it's just the worst time in the world yeah. um you were able to successfully get a parking permit due to your endo what was that process like and how has that been able to help you um yeah i i think that it's incredibly infuriating as you said <laughs> that um that there is that um, stigma that come kind of comes with it but um I I think it's different in every state but for me in New South Wales um I was able to just go to my GP and um and I had a conversation with her and the um the sort of requirements of the um, disability parking permit in New South Wales is that um, you have trouble walking further than 100 metres. Um, and for me on days when I am flaring, that is I, that is the case. Um, and so um, for me, it, it has meant that I can um, go to the chemist and get my medication um, or... You know, I can um, be dropped off outside of the hospital 
um, or something like that. Like there are so many uses where um, when I am flaring, it's so important that I have that access. Um, but um, you also don't, once you have a disability parking permit, you don't have to park in the disabled parking spots. And so um, you you still get um, longer parking, like longer free parking periods. You still get um, sort of like free parking all the time, um, which, you know, the monetary value of that in Sydney has been huge as well. Um, but Especially just having a chronic illness in itself and how expensive it is, let alone parking exactly, on top of it. Exactly. So, you know, going to the... Um, going to all of the doctor's appointments in the city and having to pay like exorbitant amounts for um, for parking with the disability parking permit, you don't have to do that. So I think it's a it's a weirdly indirect way of um, sort of like a, a medical rebate for me as well. Um, but it's yeah, it's been really really important to um, my. Uh, recovery to be able to um, to know that when I go to um, to the shops or to the chemist or to the hospital I um, I don't have to worry about um, being able to get there um, from the car Mm, for sure and I know like as you said but I'll just mention it so it is different in every state probably because nothing ever seems to be streamlined um and it (laughs) might not be (laughs) it might not be the same inclusions around like free parking in different spots but yeah just important to check um in your area but it's definitely a good thing to look into because as you said it can be so disabling and being able to walk 100 meters when you are having an incredibly hard day pain wise is yeah just makes all the difference Exactly. And I mean, there have been times where I've been absolutely fine and we have parked, you know, where we would normally park. And then I have had a flare, like an instant flare. We've been at the shops or whatever. And all like, it's like all of my energy for the day to get to the front door, you know, to get from where we were to the front door. And my husband can go and get the car and bring it back and park it in the disabled spot. And then I can just jump in the car. So it's um it's for those types of moments and stuff as well um I mean we shouldn't really even have to um, justify it or explain it but um if you're kind of on the edge as to whether you um deserve it in a way or something like that like take everything that you can possibly get that is offered to you for your chronic illness because um it it's there to help you and um, and yeah, you you are going through it already. <laughs> like you don't have to to try and like you know do without. Mm, I think that's something we do so often is sort of explain it away. Or there's other people who need things more than I do, and things like yeah. that. But yeah, exactly. just as you said, like take what you can get because it's hard enough as it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, on that note, and I know we mentioned about the frustration around this, but have you ever faced criticism from people that think you don't look disabled? And I say that in air quotation marks because what does yeah. disabled <laughs> even look like? 
Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, there has been. There have been many times where I've kind of uh, gotten out of the car and I can kind of feel the stairs and that sort of thing. But um, I don't care. <laughs> um, at this point, like I, I don't, I don't mind. I mean, there's definitely um, there is still that um, internal like. I really like I want to have this sign that I can hold up like I am you know suffering and I like I I really do need this spot today and like I'm I'm not just using it because I can't be bothered or whatever um but yeah I mean you you kind of have to just let it go I guess um the there was one instance where a parking inspector came up because I walked away from my car um without like going up to the um the paying pay machine or whatever it's called um and he was just like staring at me like are you going to pay your parking and I was like do you do you want to see my parking permit um and he sheepishly just sort of walked away but no it's fine it's all good and like you know um yeah so I mean you're, you're gonna get that but you can't you can't let people really get to you in that point because yeah it's you just you just can't help their reaction Mm, exactly and it's all just about being kind because you never know what someone's going through so exactly (laughs) very true very very true (laughs) yeah on that note what would you like to see change within the pelvic health space I think that the um I think about this a lot actually um and I think that the most important thing that I think we need in this space is um endometriosis specialists um and I think there is a, a bit of a movement for it at the moment but um I think that um gynecology isn't cutting it at the moment um there are you know there is endometriosis that has been found all over the body um and they're like you know in in the lungs and and all of those types of things and so um having a gynecologist kind of treating those areas that they're not used to is is just um kind of ridiculous at this point like we we have the understanding that it's not just a gynecological issue anymore um and there needs to be something done about that so I think that um it's it would be really really cool to see in the next like five or ten years which I mean it would be cool to see it very very (laughs) a lot sooner than that but um yeah if um in the next five or ten years there was um there were endometriosis specialists that really came out of school and had studied this for you know this and only this disease for however long I think that would be such a huge help that would just be amazing because as you said we do know that it's that whole body disease it's not contained to that pelvic cavity as gynecologists are often trained to only sort of treat within so someone that you know knows endo like so well would just be an absolute game changer and 
I hope yeah. it doesn't take five to ten years, but, you know, we can be conservative and give them some yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, they do need to go to school for yeah. it. So. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to change, but, yeah, hopefully we sort of see those changes popping up. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there's been such a massive change in the last 12 years since I was diagnosed. I just really hope that um, that continues and and that, um, and it's not just endo either, like adenomyosis and, and other things. Like we need more specialists that are really, really aware of these other issues um, that have kind of fallen, you know, to the wayside for, the, for so long. I could not agree more. It's And it's time for that to happen. It's honestly time for that to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> I would love to know what's coming up next for you, Tamika. What can we look forward to from you? Um, well, I've got a, a song coming out, I think, on the 8th of October. Um, so there's a few other songs coming out towards the end of the year and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, there's just um, lots more songwriting and um, and all of those types of things um I'm also working on a um like an Instagram page with lots of like tips and tricks um for dealing with all of these types of things so um yeah uh that's being meeks um and yeah I just kind of um I want to continue with the the music and also with um with sort of raising awareness like this as well Oh, amazing. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners today? Um, I think the the last point is, that I would love to make is just um, make sure you're advocating for yourself. There are there have been so many times where I've gone to the hospital or um, or gone to a doctor or specialist or something and um, been told like look that it doesn't sound like that or we've we've done those tests and it's you know nothing or whatever um just if it doesn't feel right in your gut like you know your own body um you know what's right and what's wrong and um yeah just keep fighting and keep going for those like second third fourth opinion if you want um like the your they're your specialists that are supposed to be treating you um, and so, yeah, you you really can just, um, yeah, just keep going until you feel like you've been heard. Mm, definitely. Oh, I would just love to say thank you so much for coming on Let's Talk Period today, Tamika. I have absolutely loved chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Period with Tamika Naxon. If you want even more from Tamika, you can follow her on Instagram at Zero Music. If you want to keep updated with all things Let's Talk Period, you can follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Period AU. If you would like to get your ticket to join me live at Let's Talk Period Live, head to the show notes. All of the details are there. Your support really does mean just so much and it would be absolutely amazing to have you there on the night. Remember to use code LTPFAM for $5 off your ticket and I cannot wait to have this live event. 
Let's Talk Period is an independent podcast. So if you did enjoy this episode and do want to support the show, if you could leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe if you're listening on Apple. And if you are following along on Spotify, tapping that green button to follow the show. If you want to help grow the Let's Talk Period community, you could share this episode with a friend or a family member or anybody who you think might enjoy the show or share how you listen. I love seeing where you all listen to all around the world and it is so amazing when you tag me in your stories or on your Instagram grid. This just really helps to find new listeners and grow the beautiful LTP podcast family. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes and the information, recommendations and topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history. 